And as we come to this final section in chapter 3, we come to some of the most best-loved words in this most rewarding of epistles. I would have to confess that Ephesians has a special place in my own heart and certainly one of my favorite Pauline epistles. And so the Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell. He's about to go on trial for his faith and with great pastoral concern and love for the church in Ephesus, he's writing to encourage them and to provide for them biblical principles in order that they would be equipped to live out their faith day by day. And so we come to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derive its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This morning as we come to what is one of the most memorable passages in this exceptional epistle, rich in teaching. We come to the words, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family and heaven and earth derive its name. And notice what he's praying for. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. What a prayer that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you with his power in your inner being. Have you grasped what Paul is asking here? That we would be strengthened in heart and mind and soul in will and desire, in our motivations, in our very disposition. Could there possibly be a better prayer for anyone? When you think of your children or your grandchildren, whatever age and stage they are at, what a prayer to offer up. That the Holy Spirit would strengthen them in their inner being. And if we only had the opening couple of lines of that prayer, or that passage rather, it would tell us so much. Notice what Paul says. For this reason I kneel. Now that's significant. 
Most of you are aware, of course, that if you visit downtown Jerusalem today, if you have seen it on National Geographic or the Discovery Channel, and it focuses in on what's known as the Western Wall, you will see Jewish men standing there. The Jewish ladies are on the other side. But when the men are standing there praying, and they insert a prayer need in the wall, what do they do? They stand there. And some of them will rock back and forward, praying, often chanting the Psalms and moving in rhythm as they recite great chunks of the Old Testament, pleading with God, interceding for family and friends. But they almost never kneel. And when Paul says, for this very reason, I kneel, what is he telling us? He's telling us he is passionate. This is a personal prayer. This is an intense prayer. He is engaging with the living God at that level of deep, profound prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, entering into the presence of Almighty God. What a prayer. And as you explore that prayer, as you take it further, notice what else he says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in your inner being. Sometimes I think we are tempted to forget the power and the impact of the gospel itself. And Paul is not only praying that the Spirit of God would strengthen us, but strengthen us with His power. And please understand the power and enormity, the magnitude of the gospel. Please hear this. There is deep, profound theology at the center of this prayer because Paul is reminding us of this. That the gospel does not simply offer regeneration and transformation. It brings regeneration and transformation. It doesn't simply offer to transform us from the inside. But it actually brings transformation and regeneration. That's what's going on here. And Paul is saying, that's the kind of power I'm praying for you that God would refresh you and renew you and encourage you and strengthen and equip you to live out your faith each day. What a prayer. What a prayer. Moments ago, I mentioned young Cade who was four as one of those memories that will last a long time. And I have another memory. A memory that lies in the institutional memory of us as a congregation. When in May 2012, our congregation gathered on a Sunday morning to vote to leave a denomination and then to birth another. That was a special Sunday. That was a commitment Sunday. 
And there are a variety of images that lie in my memory. But one of those memories is this. That I saw three of our senior adults come that morning. Dropped off at the door of the gymnasium. Going into the gymnasium. Registering to vote and then voting. And they moved very slowly. One of them, an older man had a cane and his daughter beside him. And behind him, he was pulling a small oxygen tank. Within about 30 minutes, I saw another older lady in a wheelchair with a blanket and she had a small oxygen tank in her lap. Managed to struggle out of her car into her wheelchair. Again, had a family member pushing her in to vote registering her name, showing her driver's license, and then voting. And another man with a portable oxygen tank and a small bag round his shoulder, he came in, said good morning, and waved, and went right on to vote. Within the next 10 to 12 months, each of them had passed on and gone to eternity. Talk of commitment. Talk of dedication. Talk about willing to say my voice can and will make a difference. That in those closing months they were saying, I have a voice and a choice and I want to make a difference. I want to have an influence. I want to be part of that historical moment that will impact our congregation for generations to come. What a memory. Talk about the power of God at work in individual lives. Right there. Over the last nine or ten months, in fact, over the last two years, we have been talking about our strategic plan and implementing it for the next five to ten years. And out of that strategic plan came spiritual imperatives imperatives that define who we are as a congregation that define our focus ministry imperatives and one of the first things we said we wanted to be as a congregation was a secure spiritual home a place where people could come on Sunday morning be welcomed prayed for cared for a secure spiritual home where four-year-olds and 94-year-olds will feel this is my home. Secondly, we said that in each of our ministries, we want to be life-giving and life-affirming. We live in a culture and society that focuses on a 24-7 media news cycle where you'll hear criticism and cynicism and skepticism, but not here. Here, we'll focus on the love and grace of God. We'll focus on his forgiveness and his enabling and his equipping. We are intentionally a church who is life-giving and life-affirming, whether you're 4, 14, 24, 34, 94, because here we engage with him. Our third spiritual imperative was this, that we would always be a place of learning, a place of growth, a place that opens up and 
studies and adheres to Christian teaching, a place that takes the Scripture seriously, a place that learns from the Word of God and seeks to apply it to our lives, a place of maturity, a place where we can grow in grace and in our understanding and appreciation of His love. A place where we will once again intentionally be involved in intergenerational engagement, relational connectedness. Whether it's 94 or 4 or any age in between, as we have said, we will go out of our way to be involved in intergenerational engagement, relational connectedness, praying for each other, caring for each other welcoming one another. Fifthly, a church that intentionally prepares and equips us to live out our faith. A church that will never hold our faith to the four walls on a Sunday morning, but Sunday morning is that place of worship and adoration and praise, of learning and maturing that equips us to stand firm for gospel principles but to stand for him graciously and lovingly and talk of him. A place that prepares and equips us. A place that cares for and is committed to transforming the spiritual heart of our city. A place that equips us as individuals to live out our faith as members of a PTA of folks who will take on a scout group, of folks who will lead a Sunday school class or a home Bible study group, a missional community, who serve in a whole variety of places around our city in civic and voluntary organizations, a church that prays for and cares for the spiritual heart of our city. And primarily, and first and foremost, we will always, always, always be a church that interacts with and engages with the living God week by week by week. That's our number one spiritual imperative. It's who we are. We learn from Him. We grow in our love and appreciation for Him. We take worship seriously. Prayer is for us a priority. And today is a special Sunday for us. This is for us as a congregation, Commitment Sunday. And that means, as I said earlier, and you will see it come to pass at the close of our service, that each of us will have an opportunity to step forward this morning and make a financial commitment and a pledge and say, I'm with you. I'm praying. I'm caring. I want to be part of all that's going on. I want to be a part who is of a church who is defined by those spiritual imperatives. We face an enormous task in terms of simply our campus. We're launching an extensive and comprehensive capital campaign. I don't need to go over it again. Most of you are saying, Richard, please stop. We've heard it week after week. We know what's happening. Let us commit. Let us move forward. And for that, I'm so grateful. It's an enormous challenge. But please hear this. We're not the first generation 
to face unprecedented days, to face a challenge that on paper we think we could never do this in our own strength. A church at the heart of a vibrant, growing, developing city, living in a 21st century culture, seeking to do it in our own strength. We never could. And that's why Paul says to Ephesus, and he reminds us again today, that as we pray, we pray that he would strengthen us in our inner being to take on the challenge before us. If you know me at all, you know I have a special appreciation and love and affection for history. And back in 1775, when George Washington became the head of the Continental Army, he was 43 years old. That was it. 43 years old. Thomas Jefferson, at 30, wrote the Declaration of Independence. None of our early forefathers had experience in nation building. None of them. And yet they birthed and took the initiative to create a democratic experiment that had been unheard of. Unheard of before. And yet they were willing to step forward and put their lives on the line. There was not a single bank in the original 13 colonies, when they stepped forward. There was no navy. There was no federal funding. The army itself wasn't much to speak of. The population of those 13 colonies was 2.5 million people, 500,000 of whom were slaves. Talk of uncertainty, talk of enormous challenge, talk of stepping out in faith. And we, in our own small way, are living in historic days for us as a congregation. And not only is Paul saying, I kneel before the Father and pray. But notice exactly what he's praying for. I pray not only that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your being. Know what else he specifically prays for. Look at it. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, and here it comes, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and long and deep and wide is the love of Christ. In fact, he says it surpasses knowledge. What a prayer that we would grasp the enormity of its width and its height and its depth and its length. Do you see what he's asking? He's asking almost the impossible. How often have we said in the past, it's wide enough to encompass all of humanity, every culture and every people. From Guatemala to New Guinea, from Sydney to Tokyo, from Moscow to the Mississippi. 
Every people and tribe and tongue of every generation, down through the millennia in the past to eternity still to come, that's how wide his love is. Long enough to last throughout eternity. Millennia cannot weary it. Betrayal, denial, apathy cannot empty it of its power. That's how long it is. High enough that infinity, infinity cannot encompass it. And depravity will never exhaust it of its power. That's how high the love of Christ is. And as Paul is praying, he is praying in clear, audacious terms. This is no small prayer. We are making no small plans. This is what is happening. And notice how he brings it to a close. Now, today, now to him who is able. To him who is able to do what? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. What a prayer. And Paul is moving from theology to doxology to finish this first half of the epistle. Now to him who is able to do. To do more than we can ask or imagine. This past week, as a church, we reached out to a number of leaders in our congregation and a number of you were at the event and we asked our leaders to be the first to respond to the enormous challenge in front of us. And they did. 140 individuals and families stepped forward last week and said, we are right there with you. Why? What convinced them? What power was at work in them? Because he is able to do Yes, you may be seated, but not today. This is not the hour. In the months to come, you may be tempted to surrender to the insipid stagnation of the status quo and shake your head and think, why did we ever embark on this? It is too much. It is too challenging. Please remember, he is able, when you begin to flirt with apathy and indifference. Remember, he is able. This is not the day for restriction and cautiousness and gradualism. This is Commitment Sunday because he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And I cannot help wonder if in 15 or 20 years, some of us will look back and say, I was there. I participated. God was at work. And in a moment when I call you forward, as you prayerfully come, be reciting in your mind those reassuring words, he is able able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask 
or imagine according to his power at work in us, not in our own strength. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Theology to doxology. And doxology moves us to commitment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. And thank you for your incredible call upon our lives. And this morning, as we enter into this act of commitment, we ask that you would encourage, equip, and enable each one of us to step forward and join and participate in all that you are doing in our midst. Father, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.